Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist TJ Malkanji. Today, we're going to continue on our what we've been talking about the last few days on what Fasting 101, uh, five benefits to fasting and prayer. But we're going to take these next three points to not only preach them. I'm not only going to preach and teach from the Word of God on each point, but we're going to pray through these points today. So I promise that every Wednesday during this fast, we would do um, a prayer a prayer broadcast. And so I, I want to not only just teach on these last three points today, and we're going to finish them today. I know that's a miracle, but we're fasting and praying, so miracles happen. But we're going to finish these points today, and then we're going to pray. We're going to pray through each point. So every point I get through, we're going to pray through the point. So this is going to be a prayer broadcast, which is cool because I don't think we've ever really done one. But we're going to do it more and more often. And stay tuned. I think next week we're going to do a live Q&A where we're going to have people call in, and you can ask questions and stuff. And uh, we're going to have a live Q&A right, 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 right in studio. You'll be able to call in live, and I will live answer you. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Hello, Raphael. God bless you, April. Hello, Lisa. Help me get this broadcast out to more people um, by sharing this. If, you have, uh, if you're watching from Facebook, hit the share button on Facebook. Hit the like button. Comment throughout the broadcast if you're watching. On uh, YouTube, hit that like button and uh, comment, comment, comment. Let me know in the comment section, even now, where you're watching from. Uh, let me know how you're feeling during this fast. Some of you are doing six to six, but it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Come, you know, maybe the first day it's like whatever, but after a couple of days, especially in the week two, it, it's a challenge, six to six. And some of you are doing full liquid fast. Some of you are doing just water. Some of you are, uh, well, pretty much that's it, but... Let me know how you're feeling. Please do it Monday or Wednesday. It's going to be Wednesday, Tasha. It'll be Wednesday. Definitely going to be Wednesday. Next Wednesday. This is my first time here, eager to receive and learn wisdom to know how to fast. Hallelujah. Welcome, Melody. Why don't you let me know, Melody, where you uh, got wind of our broadcasts from? Where did you learn about this ministry? Rich and I are not on a fast the morning, but it's coming. It's coming. Owensboro, Kentucky. God bless you, Kentucky. We were in Louisville, uh, Louisville, Kentucky last year or the year before, and uh, look forward to come back this year, perhaps, Lord willing. Hello, South Africa. First liquid fast. Congratulations. God bless you, and may God sustain you. Hello, Isaac de la Cruz. Alicia says she's feeling hungry. That is uh, a totally normal feeling to have during a fast. It, uh, the hunger pains do subside, though. After day four, I find, in my experience, the hunger pain goes away, and then you start craving things more than hunger. It's, it's no longer hunger. It's more of a crave. Discovered you through Isaiah. Welcome, Anna. God bless you. Hello from Portland, Oregon. God bless you. I was just out in Spokane, Washington uh, at the end of last year. That was our last meeting for the, uh, for the year. So I was out west. God bless you, Portland. Yes, welcome, Melody, and all those that are watching first time. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. You're not going to be disappointed. We're going to have a Holy Ghost time in the Word and in prayer today. So let's get, let's get in it. Uh, fasting 101, five benefits to fasting and prayer, part three. Part three. Fasting 101, five benefits to fasting and prayer, part number three. I want to start off this broadcast just in laying a foundation by reading in Luke chapter four. The Bible says this, and Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. In Matthew 4, the Bible says he was led by the Spirit to fast. He was led by the Spirit and he fasted 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. So that's what a fast is. The biblical word for fasting is the Hebrew, uh, the Greek word, Tsom, T-S-O-M. Sorry, the Hebrew word, Tsom. In the Greek, it's something else, but it both means the same thing. In the Hebrew, it's Tsom, T-S-O-M, which literally means to cover your mouth and to not put anything in your mouth, to not eat. To biblically fast means to not eat, to abstain from eating. Jesus fasted, and Jesus said a disciple 
is not above his master. A disciple is not above his master. So if you're a disciple of Christ, you're not above your master in that you don't have to do what he did to attain what he got. If we're disciples of Christ, the Bible goes on to say a teacher, or rather a student is not above his teacher, a disciple is not above his master. So if our teacher, if our master fasted and set an example for us in his fasting and in his praying, for us to follow, then we are high-minded and extremely prideful if we think we can attain to the same power of the Spirit Jesus carried by going another way, by circumventing this responsibility that we have as Christians to fast and to pray, to fast and to pray. Jesus fasted. If we want to replicate Jesus' works in the ministry or in anything we're called to do, then we must duplicate his discipline. I'm going to say that again. If we are going to replicate Jesus' works, we must duplicate Jesus' disciplines. A disciple is not above his master. If Jesus, our master, fasted, the Son of God, the Holy One, the Anointed One made flesh, then we are off the high horse if we think that we can live a life successful in our Christian living, victorious in everything we do without taking this vital step of fasting and praying. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 4. He ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, Notice when the devil spoke. The devil spoke to him uh, at the very precise moment that he got hungry. Where he got hungry. That's when the temptation came. If you're the son of God, command that this stone become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He answered the devil with the word. So notice. Notice this. Jesus is fasting but he's not just fasting, he's praying. How do we know that? Well, the Bible says in Matthew 26, Jesus addressing his disciples, he said, the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing, pray always that you do not enter or fall victim to temptation. What did the devil come to Jesus with while he was fasting in the wilderness? Temptation. The Bible says the devil tempted him for 40 days and 40 nights. And we see the very first temptation here was to him to break his fast. Break your fast. You're hungry. Command this stone to become bread. You can eat now. Get off the fast. And some of you on day one, you had that temptation come. What am I really doing? Why would I even do this? Why am I going through this? Why would I put myself through this? And the devil wants you to think that way to get you to back out of your fast. Because if he can back out of, get you to back out of your fast, just like Esau. Esau had an untamed appetite, and it led him to forfeit his inheritance. Now, I'm not saying if you don't fast and pray, you're not going to go to heaven. You'll go to heaven. But there are things that you attain to in the Spirit, and there are places you can get to in the Spirit while you're on a fast that you cannot get to when you neglect the discipline of fasting and praying. And that's what the devil tried to subvert Jesus from doing. Get him to break his fast so that he would not attain to the heights that God wanted him to reach, wanted him to reach. And so the devil comes with a temptation. But what I quoted before out of Matthew 26, Jesus said, pray always that you don't enter into temptation. That right there is proof that Jesus wasn't just abstaining from food. Jesus was praying. That's what gave him the spiritual stamina to resist the devil so that he did not fall or enter into the temptation. I had someone write on my broadcast, uh, on my YouTube comments the other day. They wrote, uh, and they're very innocent people, but they wrote, can you please pray that the devil leaves me alone? And I, in, for a second, in a state of humor, I was going to write back, then I'll pray for you to die. Because that's the only time the devil's ever going to leave you alone. That's the only time you're going to be in a state where the devil is out of the game. You're, he's out of the race. You're, you're in a totally different realm now, and the devil becomes uh, totally irrelevant. 
We're no longer in the octagon of life where the devil fights. And so obviously I didn't write that. But their question, it got me thinking. There are people who are literally praying and fasting now that the devil leave them alone. You know what I replied? I've got something better for you. Better than the devil leaving you alone. Whoa, what, what could be better than the devil leaving you alone? Dominion over the devil and the ability to resist the devil and the, the ability to cast out devils. So now it's not the devil leaving you alone. Now it's you become a bother to the devil. You become a threat to the devil. That's what fasting and prayer does. That's what it did for Jesus. The devil didn't leave Jesus alone when he fasted and prayed. But you know what Jesus did while he was fasting and praying? He entered not into temptation. Not only did the devil's attacks and the devil's assaults against Jesus' life and ministry fail and not come to fruition, Jesus went on the attack and with three scriptures got the devil running. Hallelujah. Don't pray the devil leaves you alone during this fast. Pray. Pray something different. Pray that God uses you this year in such a magnitude that the devil starts to shake in his boots when he has wind that you're in the area. Where the devil now sees you as a threat. Where the enemy now views you as a, a force not to be reckoned with. A force to flee from. That's the better prayer to pray. I'm not praying the devil leaves me alone. I'm praying God... Thank you, Lord, that I'm coming out of this fast with the full power of the Spirit. That no matter whatever demonic entity that would rise up in any of my meetings or any of my ordeals throughout the year, that that devil will not live up to the greater one that lives in me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Jesus, he was praying. He wasn't just fasting. I want to remind you during this fast, we're on day three right now. Don't just, don't fall into the trap of just not eating. Pray. Pray. Jesus did not eat, but he said, pray always that you not enter into temptation. And that's what allowed him to not enter into the temptation of the devil. That's what's going to impart into you the spiritual stamina and the spiritual backbone to stand, to stand this year. And I want to remind you, God has no plans for you to fall. Ephesians chapter 6 says, having put on the armor of God, stand. God anoints people to stand. God empowers people to stand. If God was empowering you just so you can fall at every sign of wind, like a leaf in the wind, then what good would his power be to us? What, what need would we have of this power if empowered or not empowered we still fall. No, God's power is there for you to stand. God's power is there for you to stand and to have a spiritual backbone that you don't become some wimpy, patsy believer, but you become someone that carries the flame of fire of heaven that everywhere you go, like a Holy Ghost bulldozer, you knock down the, the obstacles and no longer are you trying to get from breakthrough to breakthrough to breakthrough, but you're one who carries the spirit of breakthrough and everywhere you go, you pierce through. You break through. You move on unhindered. Hallelujah. That's what Jesus had. That's what you'll have. Skipping over to uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 13. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. Until an opportune time. Well, when did Jesus, when did the, Jesus ever have another battle with the devil? Directly, outside of him casting out devils, there's nothing in the Gospels directly that you can see uh, him actually speaking to the devil directly and him going through another time of wilderness and all that. But we do see in Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 8, it would be, where Jesus is talking about his crucifixion and him going to the cross. And Peter takes him aside and says, hey, hey, you're never going to do that. Far be it from you that you should ever walk through that. You're not going to be crucified. You are the Messiah. What a foolish thing. Don't you know what the scripture says about the Messiah? He's the reigning king. Far, far be it that you should ever be crucified and treated like that about, well, with, with the, by the hands of men. What did Jesus reply? Get behind me, Satan. So though there was no direct uh, conversation with the person called the devil, the devil was now working through people to try and get Jesus off the course of life that God had him on. 
And so what did Jesus reply? Again, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God. You're mindful of the things of men. And so then there's other times in the scripture where you see the devil try in the garden of Gethsemane. When he was praying, he was sweating droplets of blood. And the Bible Bible says his soul was in great anguish and being in agony. What happened when he was in agony? He prayed more fervently. I'm sure the devil was putting all kinds of thoughts in his mind. And it caused anxiety. Jesus had anxiety in the garden of Gethsemane. It's obvious from the scriptures. But he never felt prone or victim to that anxiety because he always persevered in prayer and he always used the weapons of the spirit to take down whatever opposition was in his way. And uh, he always gained victory no matter the battle. But you see, there was more opportune times. The devil didn't just stop there. So that whole prayer of let the devil leave me alone, it it doesn't work. Someone came up to R.W. Shambach once and said, can you pray the devil leaves me alone? You know what he said? He, He said, well, let me put my hand on your head and I'll pray for God to kill you tonight. And she said, no, no, I don't want that. Well, then... You don't pray for God to, for the devil to leave you alone. You pray for God to empower you so the devil becomes a non-issue. All right, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. This is what I was getting at. Then Jesus, after his fast, returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him sent, was sent throughout all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. He returned in the power of the Spirit after his fast. That's what we're doing right now. We're fasting and we're praying so that we can secure the full power of the Spirit. Now, you might be telling me here today, well, I'm baptizing the Holy Ghost. I already have the full power of the Spirit. But that's not true because Luke chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast and pray 40 days. And it wasn't until he had finished the fast coming back that he was in the power of the Spirit now. So he was filled with the Spirit in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. We saw that in Luke 3 when he gets baptized and the Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove. But it was in Luke 4, 14 where we see now Jesus walking in the full power of the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. He was born of the Spirit immaculately through the womb of Mary. And yet it wasn't until Luke 4, 14 that he comes in the full power of the Spirit. There are many Christians that are filled with the Spirit, but do not carry any weight in the Spirit and don't carry any power in the Spirit. There are many tongue-talking Christians that couldn't cast a devil out if they, their life depended on it. There are many tongue-talking Christians who, who live in absolute fear of premature death, fear of the devil, fear of sickness, fear of whatever. Walk in intimidation. Just because you're filled with the Holy Spirit and that you're baptized in the Spirit doesn't mean that you're walking in the full power of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit is evidently manifesting forward in your life. There are spiritual things and practices we must do in order to tap in to the fullness of the power of the Spirit. And you can tell just in the ministry if you're exposed to a ministry that doesn't fast at all, doesn't pray at all. And then another ministry that takes up the mantle, the fast and pray, and the responsibility to do so, you can tell there's a difference even in the way they speak. There's a difference in the trajectory of their ministry. There's a difference in the weight that their words carry when they speak. I've been around ministers that don't, they mock fasting and praying. They mock it. They, they don't talk highly about it. They mock it. They'll, on purpose, in January, knowing that the body of Christ at large is fasting, they'll post pictures of them eating a nice burger and say, this is so good. They do it on purpose, and they do it in January on per- uh, deliberately to kind of shove it to their brothers. that aren't. But isn't it funny? I actually was listening to someone before, and I thought it so funny because he played a clip of Dana White, who's the UFC um, president who's not a Christian by any means. He actually told a Christian uh, a couple of years ago, to, like, he was telling Christian fighters to stop talking about Jesus when you give your victory speech. Like, why do you always have to bring him up? Don't bring him up anymore. And uh, 
He wasn't commanding them to do so. He was just saying, why do you always have to do it? So he's not a Christian. He's not spiritual in the least. And yet this year, he just announced he's doing a seven-day fast, water fast, just for the physical benefits of it. And so I thought it's so interesting that the day has literally come where you have preachers mocking fasting and praying, and then you have total heathens who are commending and encouraging and endorsing fasting and praying simply because of the natural health benefits of it. Well, we don't just believe in the natural health benefits of it. We understand that fasting and prayer is like the, the connection point that allows us to tap in to the full power of the Spirit so that we can be people of impact on the earth. I don't know about you, but I want to be a person of impact on the earth. Jesus fasted and prayed. He was a person of impact. Moses fasted and prayed. He was a person of impact. You see Paul fasting and praying throughout his life. He said in fastings often, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he was a person of impact. Matter of fact, the first thing Paul did when he got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit was to go on a three-day fast. You see these people that were mightily used by God. Look at the greatest churches on the earth today. David Oya Depple, the, um, the Winner's Chapel International, who has a church of 1.18 million people. David Youngie Cho, who's at home to be with the Lord now. But when he was alive, he had uh, a church that had 50,000 seats and had over 850,000 people in membership for his church globally. Enoch had a boy. All these people are people that are given to fasting and praying. So let this encourage you today. If you're a person who has a desire to do great things for God, you're taking the right steps by setting time aside to fast and pray. Because God is, we talked about this yesterday, and I'm not going to get into it again, but we talked about it yesterday. God is, while you're fasting and praying, He's preparing you as a vessel for honorable use so that when your life is said and done and you go home to be with the Lord at a good old age, ripe in its season, it's not a two-sentence eulogy that you find in your local gazette newspaper, but that there are people that come to your funeral. There are people that celebrate over your life. There's people, when you get to heaven, they'll be there already greeting you, saying, thank you for being obedient to the Lord. Thank you for having shared the gospel with me. Thank You know, when Billy Graham died, there was a minister who said, I had a vision of Billy Graham's entrance into heaven. And I, I, you know, I don't buy into all these visions and stuff like that, but I did think this one was interesting. He said, I had a vision of Billy Graham's entrance into heaven. And Billy Graham fasted and prayed. And he talks about it in a lot of his, his, his books and stuff. But he fasted and prayed. And Billy Graham, uh, when he died, this man had a dream where when he got into heaven, there were like stadiums of people that were dead now and in heaven, but that greeted Billy Graham. Like almost like there was someone on a megaphone saying, now entering in, Dr. Billy Graham. And he entered in and there were hundreds of, I mean thousands and hundreds of thousands and thousands of people that were there to greet Billy Graham that were in heaven because of his life of impact and his life of obedience. I want my life to be like that. I want to be able to sit with Paul and Peter and James and Wigglesworth and Howard Carter and Donald G and Lester Sumrall when I get to heaven one day and be able to keep up with the conversation and not just sit back and listen and say, oh, that's great. Well, you know, one time, you know, I did a crusade and 150 people came. I want to be able to sit down with these people, people that had generational impact and be able to talk and have a conversation with them and, and exchange what we both did on the earth only by the grace of God. Hallelujah. And I know that's you. I want you to make this confession in the comment section right now. I will be a person of impact. I will be a person of impact. I will have an impactful life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Well, what did we talk about on Monday? Benefit number one of fasting and prayer. Fasting breaks down the flesh. We talked about how the flesh is the, the biggest enemy you're going to have in life. It's not the devil. It's not other people. It's not the world. It's the flesh. The flesh sets its desires against the Spirit. 
The flesh doesn't want you to fast. The flesh doesn't want you to serve God. Romans chapter 8 says, The flesh is an enmity or an enemy of God, and it cannot submit itself to the laws of God. The flesh cannot submit itself to the laws of God. And so the flesh, not the devil, the flesh is the greatest opponent to you walking in the full call of God on the earth. So what does fasting and prayer do? Well, I gave the analogy of two dogs. You have the flesh dog, and then you've got your spirit man as the other dog. And the dog you feed the most is going to have the loudest bark and will have the greatest strength and the most influence. If you're a person that never gives time to fasting and prayer and reading and studying, the word of God and listening to preaching, then your, your spirit man is going to be emaciated, extremely weak, will have no influence, and you'll constantly be in a cycle of falling to fleshly desires and fleshly appetites and indulgences. But when you starve the flesh man by getting in the book called the word of God and feed not on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of God's mouth, and you start to fast and pray and couple that in and pray praying the Holy Ghost, you start to strengthen that spirit, man, because the Bible says, he that prayeth in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. You're strengthening your spirit, man, and you're starving the flesh, man, so that your spirit is the dominating force in life, and the voice that is loudest in your, in your life, the voice that you can hear the clearest is not the flesh man, which is prone to extreme error and deceit, but it is your spirit man who is created in the likeness of God and is directly connected to the spirit of God so that you can hear directly from God's mouth. Hallelujah. So that's what fasting does primarily is breaking down the flesh. Number two, fasting is a consecration of yourself to God's plans and purposes. And we talked about how in a large house there are vessels for honor and vessels of dishonor. But if you'll cleanse yourself, in the King James it says sanctify yourself. And fasting and prayer is a form of consecration or sanctification sanctification. We are setting ourselves aside to divine usage. We are setting ourselves apart for godly purposes. And when we do so, God takes a note of it. He takes attention to it. And the scripture says he makes us into one who is useful and prepared to do every good work he's called us to do. And God's called you to do great things. God doesn't call anyone to mediocrity. God doesn't call anyone to obscurity. God never calls anyone to fail or be defeated or have some small little uh, hole-in-a-wall project that nobody knows about. Every person of Scripture made noise in their generation. And you will make noise in your generation in the name of Jesus Christ. When God uses a person, they come out of darkness and places of obscurity, and he brings them into, into light. He brings them into places of influence. Jabez, oh, the, the one who said he had caused pain to his mother ever since birth. That's literally what his name means. Jabez means pain. He, he caused pain for his mother ever, ever since birth. And yet when he prayed, Lord, bless, bless me and enlarge my territory. And may I cause no more harm to anybody, but bless me to be used in my generation. What happened? And the Lord heard the prayer of Jabez and granted his request. And Jabez gained influence in his generation. God increased his territory of influence. God increased his capacity to do great things on the earth. Hallelujah. God has great plans for you. You're not going to be some small little irrelevant thing you're you're going to be you're going to be a blessing to many in Jesus name you carry the abrahamic blessing and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed you're going to have national blessing in Jesus name you're going to be a national blessing but now we get into point number 3 and this is where we're going to park on 3 4 and 5 fasting and prayer number 3 thanks for joining me Sharon Emily Irma Tabitha Sarah uh, John, thanks for joining me. If you're just tuning in now, help me out. Get this word out to more people. Uh, like it. If you're on YouTube, hit the like button. If you're on Facebook, hit that share button. Let's blast the digital airways with this gospel content today and help a lot of people and encourage a lot of people today that might be fasting and praying as well. Point number three, and we're going to pray through this point. Fasting and prayer is the secret to kingdom zeal. Fasting and prayer is the secret to kingdom zeal. I want you to write this in the comment section. 
the zeal of the Lord will perform it. The zeal of the Lord will perform it. That's a scripture in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. The zeal of the Lord will perform it. There are things that God calls you to. Matter of fact, everything God calls you to will require the zeal of the Lord for it to get done. I remind you of Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6 when God gave the task to Zerubbabel to build the temple, build the second temple. Zerubbabel felt overwhelmed. Zerubbabel felt like it was a task too large for him to accomplish and complete. But God encouraged him through the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah told Zerubbabel, listen to me, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. He was telling him, yes, the task is too great. Yes, the task is too challenging. Matter of fact, if, you, if what you think God called you to do, you believe it to be achievable by your own strength, it's not what God's called you to do. If what you think God's called you to do, you have a confidence that you can do it in your own strength, and that's why I don't have to fast, I don't have to pray, I don't have to, then it's not what God's calling you to do. Anything God calls you to do will require a couple of things. Number one, it's going to require great faith to believe him for it. It's going to require great faith. Abraham, you're going to have a child uh, through Sarah, but Sarah's barren and she's 90 years old now. You're going to have a child through Sarah. And Sarah laughed. And God said, did you laugh, Sarah? And Sarah said, no, I didn't laugh. But God said, yes, but you did. And by this time next year, you'll have a child. And Abraham, the Bible says, did not waver in faith. He was fully convinced, even though Sarah's womb was dead and gone, and he didn't consider the deadness of his own body, he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. And that's what faith is. That's what believing God is. Believing God means to be fully convicted of his word and convinced and persuaded beyond shadow of doubt that he's able to do everything he said that he would do. Abraham had that faith. So anything God calls you to do is going to require that great level of faith. Gideon, I want you to go and fight an army of 30,000 people. Okay, let me get an army of 30,000. No, 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 no. We need less people than that. All right, how's 10,000? No, 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 no. We need less people than that. And finally, he was left with 300 people. Yep, there you go. 300. That's the people I'm going to take you uh, into war with to fight an army that has over 30,000 people with. That you got to be a little crazy to do that. On a natural level of things, you would never do that. But in God's economy, that's exactly how he gets things done. He makes sure that you don't get any credit for anything and that you have, you're like backed into a corner, that you have no choice but to give God all the credit and all the glory because this is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our sight and nobody would ever believe that I could have got this done on my own strength. That's, that's, when you're at that level, when you're at that point, that's when you know God's calling you to do something. That's why I talked about it yesterday. You know, I, I'm okay. You know, I have a little church, small church. I'm happy and content. Well, you're not in the plan of God. You're not in the plan of God. If you're happy and content with just a little tiny ministry, a little tiny church that makes a little tiny impact, you're not in the plan of God. You have deviated from the plan of God. Well, you might say, well, doesn't God have plans for small churches? Yeah, he has plans for small churches. You know what his plan is? To make them big. Hallelujah. You know, I have a nice little mom and pop business over here. It treats us good and all that. I'm okay with that. You can be okay with that and you'll stay at that level. But God has plans to increase you. And anytime you get to a point, a place where you don't have to use your faith anymore, I believe firmly, and I have scriptures to prove it, that you've actually come out of the call of God. You've actually come out of the plan of God. I, I didn't have to get this studio. We had a, a, a basement room dedicated to broadcast and all. I didn't have to do that. To get this studio, the added expenses for this studio, 
it requires me to believe for more money now to come in every month to do this. But I know where God's taking us, and I know that if I, I'm going to get there, then I've got to do different things, and I've got to start loosening my faith. I've got to start, start acting in faith. I've got to start turning loose that inside faith. It's one thing to say, oh, confess everything good. It's one thing to confess the promises of God. I believe God's going to take us to reach a million people for Jesus Christ. I believe, yeah, what are you doing to actually make that happen? What zeal is driving you to actually attain or achieve that thing in life? Because if not, the Bible says, idle chatter, empty chatter leads to poverty, but in all labor there is profit. Hallelujah. Empty chatter. I'm sad to say there's a lot of Christians. They're empty chatter Christians. Idle talkers. They talk a big talk, but they've got no actual desire and plan to get any of that done. In his timing, amen. Well, we're just trusting him. Trusting God does not mean to sit on your blessed assurance and wait for him to do everything. Trusting God, even, even the word in the, in the book of Psalms where it says, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord does not mean to look like this. Just waiting on the Lord, brother. In his timing. You know how many pastors hide in their offices? <laughs> they hide in their office. They lock the door. Don't bother me. I'm praying all day. They're not praying. And even if they were, there's a time to pray. And then there's a, there's a time to strategize, come up with a plan so that things get done. The early church wasn't just praying all day. They had hours of prayer. And then they did things. They, they developed a feeding program by Acts chapter 6. They had a full, fully operational feeding program that was a blessing to the entirety of Jerusalem. They were already making impact even on a physical level, financial level. They were helping people out. There was plan. They didn't just, people think Paul just spent his time praying and fasting in a corner of a room. If that were the case, we would have never have read of his journey to Corinth, Corinth, never have read of his journey to Ephesus. We'd have never have read of his journey to Athens and everywhere else that he went. We'd have just, we wouldn't have even read of Paul's life. His life would have done nothing. It would have been irrelevant. We pray, but then we prepare. Pray as if everything depended on God. And then plan and prepare as if everything depended on you. That's how we're to operate. Pray as if, in ev as if everything depended on God, and then prepare and plan and strategize as if everything depended on us. Because what does prayer do? Prayer is not just, I'm passing on everything that I need done to God and he's going to get it done. Prayer should actually rather be like this. Father, do something in me. Drop blueprints in my spirit. Give me divine wisdom. Give me an idea. You know, when God said, I need a temple built, and David went out to build a temple, David didn't just say, oh, God, build that temple brick by brick, you know, get the, uh, the, the asphalt ready. Lord, we just pray that you would. They didn't do that. They prayed, and then they got to work. They started to actually lay a foundation, and they got brick to brick. When Nehemiah wanted the walls of Jerusalem built again, he didn't pray, God, build the walls of Jerusalem again. We ask you in Jesus' name. He went back to Jerusalem, and he actually got to work. I, man, some people are allergic to work. And they get, they get around it by being super spiritual, by saying, well, I'm praying it through. I'm praying it through. You, you'll never pray it through. Even in uh, Haggai chapter 1, the Bible says that um, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, and he said... This is also in the time of Zerubbabel and the building of the second temple. God spoke through Haggai saying, Zerubbabel, I'm going to stir up the remnant of the people to come and do the work. So I tell you, don't be afraid. Get up and work for I am with you. Get up and work, for I am with you. God doesn't sit with sitters. God doesn't sleep with sleepers. God doesn't recline with the recliners. God moves with movers. God works with workers. God does things with people that are doing things. Unless the Lord labors, they that labor, labor in vain. So God's laboring. I will build my church. God is building. God is building. And fasting and praying gets us into divine position where we're now prepared to build with God and that we're not laboring in vain, building something God's not building. Hallelujah. And that, what empowers you to do so? Which leads me, leads me to point three. 
It's the zeal of the Lord. What does zeal mean? Zeal means ardor, working at something. Zeal signifies enthusiasm and extreme passion. Extreme passion. Matter of fact, oftentimes the same word in the Hebrew, kinah, is spoken of in terms of sexual passion. When the Bible says, zeal for your house has consumed me, it's the same word that oftentimes is used for sexual passion. I'm not saying Jesus had sexual passion. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the same level of passion that the Hebrew word gives towards sexual passion is the same level of passion that Jesus had for the house of God and the things of God. Zeal for the house of God consumed him. What, what is a greater passion in the natural than sexual passion? People are sexually passionate. That's why we get married. We have an urge. We have a desire for intimacy on that level. That even Paul himself said, if you can't control that passion, get married. If you can, God bless you. But if you can't, get married. That same Hebrew word, kinah, is literally, it literally means sexual passion or even jealousy that a husband has over a wife. That level of passion, the heights of passion, the heights of passion. And the same word is used for zeal for the house of God has consumed me. Meaning it goes beyond sexual passion. It goes beyond jealousy. It goes beyond any type of human passion. There is a passion in my heart, a fire, a drive to do what God's called me to do. The zeal of the Lord, that type of zeal comes on you when you fast and pray to do to put your hand to the plow and do what God's called you to do. Paul had this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Don't you know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? Therefore, run in such a way that you might win. Hallelujah. That tells you there are people running that aren't running in the way to win. There are people even in the ministry, that are doing ministry, but not in the way that's going to get them to move forward. He said, many people run in a race, but you have to run in such a way. In such a way. What is that such way? It's the way of zeal, and it's the way of passion. Run in such a way that you might win. And then he explains what zeal does to a person. Everyone who is competing for a prize, so he's comparing an athlete to now the life of a Christian. Everyone who is athletic competes for a prize, a gold medal, a silver medal, and they are disciplined in everything. They are consistent to showing up to work out every morning at 6 a.m. He talked about Kobe Bryant's workout. When he was uh, in the NBA, he'd wake up at 4 a.m. And he'd have already done two or three workouts by the time his friends woke up at 7 a.m. And so he said, after 20 years or 15 years or 10 years or even six years, after six years, I'm well ahead of them because I've been doing two or three more workouts per day than they have. And so the compound effect of that is that within six years, they're never even going to catch up to me because he's disciplined. Paul's saying athletes are disciplined and consistent to obtain a natural prize. But we do it. We're disciplined. We are diligent. We are consistent so we can obtain an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run as thus, not with uncertainty, and I fight not as one who is beating the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be called a castaway or I should be disqualified. Paul here is showing you what zeal does to a person. It gives them a supernatural focus on the task at hand. This is why we're going to pray right now for the zeal of the Lord to overwhelmingly possess us so that we can have supernatural focus and attention given to the task at hand. Holy zeal is the secret to consistency and focus in your assignment. People that don't have the zeal of the Lord are always quitting what they begin to do. They're always quitting. I, I see it all the time. Last fasting and prayer. I felt the Lord, you know, uh, tell me to uh, start a blog or start a social media channel or whatever. 
and they start for like two months. But because their viewership never gets beyond like three people or four people walking, watching, what happens? Ah, they suck. They're not consistent. If I showed you pictures of our first set back in my first apartment in La Prairie, Quebec, it looked like it was a hostage video. I looked like I was Al-Qaeda holding a hostage video with black drapes behind me. And I was, in a, uh, I was in a couch that was well too low for the camera. And so there was so much heads. It looked awful. It looked terrible. But God told me to get online. And so consistency will always outperform natural talent and ability. Always. Because though there are people who are more naturally gifted than I am in speaking and in preaching, because of their lack of consistency, they don't have the platform that we have today. And that's not because God had a different plan for me. That's because I took the word of the Lord seriously and I became consistent in what God called me to do. Holy zeal gives you that level of consistency. There's people that despise the day of small beginnings. There's people that are looking for overnight success. There's people that are looking for immediate results, immediate return on investment. And because they don't see it, they back out. They, they give up. They quit. Well, I, I put out a video and it only had seven views. And you know what? So I don't think many people want to hear me anymore. I don't mean... Maybe now... But God is more concerned with your process of obedience to what he's told you to do than he is with results right at the, at the onset. Results will come. Fall in love. And that's what zeal does. Hallelujah. This is what drives me. I love preaching. I love studying the word of God and learning about God. And I love sharing what I've learned from God's word. So I, the zeal of God takes my eyes away from how many people are watching right now. Takes my eyes away from how many things are, how many doors are being opened in me right now. Takes my eyes away from all, and I'm not, I'm not saying you should not log results. You should not, you should have a level of result orientation. There should be logging so that you can take, uh, take, Take a, a um, how do you say it? Take a journal of your, your, pro, of your progress. So you can be up to date on like the progress because you're going to see results. The results might not be one to 1,000 within a day. But you're going to see constant growth. So you should take a log of results and, and everything that's happening and all that. But don't become focused or obsessed with that. Rather, focus on the process. Focus on the task. Focus on becoming the best at the task. Keep your attention on, like I do, I focus on becoming a better preacher. I focus on better delivering the word of God. I focus, the numbers are going to come. The results are going to come. But sharpen your gift. Seest thou man, excellent in his gift. He'll stand before great men. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. It's going to come. The zeal of God empowers you to do that. That's why Paul said, I forget those things which are behind. The zeal that was in Paul's life, which we read about it very descriptively here in 1 Corinthians 9. He talks about it in Philippians 3, what it empowered him to do. It, it empowered me to leave those things which are behind and to press on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, to move towards the goal. And he said, this one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind. Zeal allows you, the zeal of the Lord allows you to focus on the one thing that God's called you to do. Forget the failure, forget the results, forget the seemingly slow progress that you've been seeing and to do one thing to press towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus hallelujah hallelujah zeal embeds within you a level of consistency that sheer human effort and willpower cannot get to look at Jesus' zeal I must work while it is yet day when night is coming no man will be able to work 
They came to Jesus. Uh, Master, are you hungry? We're going to go and get you food. I have food to eat of that you don't know. My meat is to do the will of God who sent me and to accomplish all his purposes. Hallelujah. When they came to him in Luke 4, 43, and, and they were asking him to stay in their town and village, Jesus said, no, no, I got to go somewhere else. I've got to move. Zeal drives you to move. Zeal empowers you to take forward steps. He said, I've got to move. For this cause I've been sent. For this purpose I was born, that I might preach in other cities also. That consistency that got Jesus to never back down, that got Paul to never back down, that, was the, that wasn't a natural willpower. That was the zeal of the Lord performing it in and through them. That's what we're going to pray right now. That the zeal of God is going to embed in you a level of consistency that will allow you to outperform anybody with natural skill and natural talent. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. Faithfulness means consistency. The fire of God during this fast, while we're going to pray right now, is going to burn off inconsistency. Inconsistency is horrible because it breeds, it breeds a lack of credibility. And when you're not a credible person, nobody trusts you. And when nobody trusts you, nobody wants anything to do with you. But when you're a consistent person, especially in our generation, where nobody's consistent, if you'll just be a little consistent, you'll be outstanding. You'll stand out from everyone else. We're going to pray right now that the fire of God is going to burn off all inconsistency and burn in you faithfulness by the zeal of the Lord to keep to the path that, God's had, that God has you on and not deviate from it to the left or to the right. Look at what God told Joshua. Joshua, this book of the law shall never depart from your mouth. Don't turn from it. Don't turn from what I've called you to do to the left and don't turn from it to the right. Jesus set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, I ask you now as we fast and pray that you would burn off any level of apathy, inconsistency, or distraction that would turn our eyes away from the task at hand, that would give us a lack of focus. Burn it all off of me. Burn it all off of us this year, right now, in Jesus' mighty name. Anything that has caused me to be inconsistent, caused me to fail, caused me to constantly give up, caused me to never actually take anything off the ground, to begin projects but never finish projects. Father, I pray, burn it off me right now in Jesus' mighty name. And let your fire embed in my spirit, in our spirit right now, that which is necessary to not only begin but to finish strong, to do what Paul said, I have finished my course. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, pray with me right now. Set our face like a flint towards what you've called us to do. Lord, give us an inability to look in any other direction. Put on us what horses have, where they can't look to the left and they can't look to the right. Give us laser beam focus this year. Lord, may we not be double-minded. Lord, may we not be unstable. Lord, even as it was told to Reuben, you are excellent and you're strong, but you're unstable as water, and so you won't excel. Father, may we have stability to excel. Father, may we be steadfast. Your word says, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our work in the Lord is never in vain. Lord, make us steadfast. Make us immovable. Cause us to always abound in the work of the Lord so that what we're doing would not be useless, but it would add to our eternal reward in Jesus' mighty name. You know what? We're going to park on this today. I thought I was going to get through the other three. Angel knew I was lying, and we're not kidding ourselves. We're going to stick on this because I feel to pray this through. I feel the anointing on this right now. We'll get through the other two the other days. We have point four and point five. We'll do Thursday and Friday. But today, we're, we're praying this through. Pray with me for the next 10 minutes. Pray with me. Give me till 2.05 p.m. 
Seven minutes. Let's pray this through. Kiristiando zekrabale keriirobo harana mama ma zekontori ebrebe. Write this in the comment section, uh, so we can have some level of of engagement here. Write this in the comment section. Father, burn off all apathy. Father, burn off all apathy. Father, burn off all apathy. Fill me with zeal. Write that too. Fill me with zeal. Give me your zeal. Give me your zeal. What zeal? It's excitement for what God's called you to do. Lord, get me excited for what you've called me to do this year. Lord, let the, a fresh wind of energy come behind me. Lord, let there be a zeal that drives me all through the year. May I never take my foot off the pedal. Let my foot get exceedingly heavy in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name, turn away my eyes from distraction. Turn away my eyes from vanity, from vain things. Lord, remove any type of zeal for Netflix, zeal for Xbox, zeal for all those useless things. Give me zeal for that which matters. Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians, Father, I pray that you would empower me to look on those things which are unseen, to have zeal for the things that are unseen, for the things that nobody else sees, but are real and eternal. And Lord, let me lose interest. Let me lose interest in useless endeavors. Let me use, lose interest in those things which are temporal. Let me lose interest in those things that have no eternal value. Stamp eternity on my eyeballs, Lord God that I might burn for you. Dip me in the kerosene of your spirit, O oh God, that I might burn for you. Lord, put the drive in me that was in Paul, that he became like a terminator. Everywhere he went, he just kept pressing forward. Nothing could stop him. Nothing can back him down. Lord, let that zeal, let that zeal come and overtake us even now. Lord, let every sign of weariness, every sign of fatigue, every sign of giving up, Lord, let it be burnt out of us. Let us not grow weary in well-doing this year, that we might sow constantly the right seeds so that in the end we'd reap a harvest of spiritual things in Jesus' mighty name. Hey, 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 that's right, Isaac. Lord, let a fresh wind of energy come upon me. Turn my eyes away from distraction. Father, may we get nourishment from doing what you've called us to do. Lord, may we literally derive strength, spiritually and even physically, by doing what you've called us to do. Let our nourishment come from doing your work and accomplishing your purposes on the earth. In Jesus' name, Father, I pray burn out inconsistency from us. Lord, anything that's caused us to begin a project but always fall short of completing it, Lord, may it never happen again. Let the last project that we fail to complete be the last project we fail to complete. From today, may we have a reputation of consistency, a reputation of finishing the work, a reputation of completing things that we set out to do. In Jesus' mighty name, just like Jesus didn't stop short of the cross, but he completed the work that God kept called him to do. Father, may we carry a good reputation of credibility in Jesus' mighty name. Give us credibility as we, through the zeal of God, begin to finish things that we start in Jesus' mighty name. Kiraba, pray that with me right now. Kereze kalabosto korianama, indasto kontrevita rababa, perezendo korababa. And I pray this right now. Some of you have a great vision. Some of you have a, a dream from the Lord. Some of you have instructions God has already given you, but you lack the zeal to start, and you've lacked the zeal to not care about other people. That's what zeal does too. It causes you to not care about other, other people's opinions. Do you see what TJ went to do? He did a crusade and only 60 people showed up. <laughs> Says he's called of God. You know, my last crusade, we had 240 people show up. The zeal of the Lord is like a fire 
that burns off any desire to care about what men, men have to say about you. That's what Paul said. Paul said, if I was still striving to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of the Lord. The zeal of the Lord gives you the spirit of, I don't care. Did you hear what they said about you? I don't care. Did you hear about what they're saying? I don't care. Because you'll find out the ones that talk are usually the ones that are behind you anyways. <laughs> people that are ahead of you, they're, they're so focused on moving forward, they don't talk about what other people that are not at their level are doing. They don't talk. People that talk the most are the ones that have a good view of you because they're behind you. They're able to talk. That's why it's called backbiting. The Bible calls it backbiting. Why are they biting at the back? Because that's where they're at. They're at the back. It's the only place they can bite is your back because that's where they're at. They're at the back. And the zeal of the Lord disconnects you from the ability to care. That's right, Susan. May his zeal disconnect me from any fear of men. Hallelujah. Let's pray that right now. Father, let your zeal give us something to please you and you alone. Give us the ability to not care about the opinions of the masses, but to care only about pleasing the audience of one, and that is you. In Jesus' mighty name, burn off. Any desire to be seen favorably by men. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd give us the ability, or rather, I'd say, Lord, that you would desensitize us from caring about the opinions of others. Desensitize us from all that. Lord, make us like rubber. That any wrong word or evil word or gossiping word that would be sent our way would just bounce off of us. In Jesus' mighty name. Let's pray that. That's right. The fear of man is a snare, the Bible says. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be prospered. I'm not fearing man. I don't care what men have to say. I don't give myself to the opinion of men because man, promotion doesn't come from men. Promotion doesn't come from the east. Promotion doesn't come from the west. Promotion doesn't come from the south. Promotion comes from the Lord who lifts up one and puts down another. Lord, let your zeal give us focus on the task at hand and give us a desensitization towards the opinions of men. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. I want you to write this in the comment section as a confession of faith. Father, I receive your zeal today. I receive your zeal. I receive fresh zeal. I receive fresh zeal. The zeal of the Lord overwhelmingly takes over my spirit and every sign of indifference. Wherever I was bored with the things of God, Father, I thank you that a fresh wind of excitement comes now. Hallelujah. I will not be excited by any worldly thing, I'll be excited by your heavenly vision. You know, that's something. Let me read this. We'll finish off with this final prayer point connected to the zeal of the Lord. Habakkuk, chapter 2. Habakkuk, chapter 2. And verse number 2. Verse number one, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. I will watch to see what God will say to me and what I'll answer when I'm corrected. So that's essentially what you're doing when you're fasting and praying. You're standing your watch and you're setting yourself on the rampart. The rampart was in a fortress. They'd have walls. And between the walls, there was a place where soldiers can walk back and forth. The rampart, that's what the rampart is. I'm standing on the rampart, meaning... What, why would they stand on the rampart? Well, they would always be uh, observing in case of uh, invasion. They'd always be on the lookout. They were the scouts. They were watching in case there was an invasion. They were the alert ones. They were the sober ones. They weren't drunk. They weren't sleepy. They were the sober ones waiting to see what was going on all around them. 
Well, Habakkuk's saying, I'm going to watch like someone sent on a rampart. What? I'm going to watch to see what he will say. So when you're fasting and praying, that's exactly what you're doing. You're at the most attentive position that you could possibly be as to what God is speaking and, uh, and you're as to what God is speaking. But listen to what he says. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. It takes zeal to complete the vision of heaven. Why? Because the Bible doesn't say that he might just read it. It says that whoever reads it runs with it. What does that mean? The vision of God. Get this in your spirit. Anytime God gives a person a vision, direction, an assignment, with it comes excitement and zeal to run and complete the task. That's why Habakkuk said, where God speaks to Habakkuk, write the vision down. But there's something in the vision that creates an excitement to run with it. That's the zeal of the Lord. Not just read about it and confess it. There's something that comes connected. It's like a two-for-one deal. With the vision, two-for-one comes the excitement to run and accomplish the vision. You look at anyone that God gave a, a heavenly vision to in, in the entire Bible. When God spoke, when God, uh, when Jesus appeared to Paul, he didn't, you know, contemplate it for the next three years as to what he was going to do. What did he do? That very Sabbath, he reasoned with the Jews in the synagogues, and he was violently persuading that Jesus was the Christ, refuting them with the scriptures. There was something to run. When God drops a vision in your heart, with it, he brings a wind behind your back to run, to run. That's the zeal of the Lord. That's why Isaiah said, you have a great vision. It needs supernatural assistance to perform it, but the zeal of the Lord will perform it. In the name of Jesus Christ, pray this with me right now. Father, let the zeal of the Lord give me strength to run, to run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint, to run and not fall into any trap. In Jesus' mighty name, pray that now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for strength to run this year. Thank you, Lord. Just like the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he outran the chariots of Ahab. Thank you that the hand of God's coming upon us even now to run faster than any other year. Lord, that we're picking up divine pace. We're picking up an acceleration. Thank you, Lord, that we're generating momentum even now. In Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, the hand of the Lord's coming upon us to run, to run at a divine pace, to run with supernatural speed. Hallelujah. That what other people do in seven days, we get done in seven minutes. Hallelujah. What other people get done in a whole year, we do in a month. What other people get done in a whole month, we do in a week. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. What other people get done in a whole year, we do in a month. What people take a whole decade and two decades to do. Thank you, Father. We'll accomplish it in a year. In Jesus' name, the plowman will overtake the, the treader of grapes and him that sows seed. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. We receive that today. Amen. Amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.